Hello, welcome to the How Might We podcast. I'm John Barnes. Some brief housekeeping today to say that uh, on my website I've published my new TEDx talk entitled Leave Those Kids Alone, How Freedom Helps Learning. You can find that in the talks section of my website. And re really the, the purpose of that talk was to share some of the experiences that I and my family have had with democratic schooling, particularly uh, a school that we, we visited and, and were involved in in Costa Rica for, for almost half of last year, really. So I hope you really enjoy that. Also, my new book, Tech Monopolies, a short rant about addictive design, is being printed as we speak, which is really excited. It's a, it's a short book. The main theme is really to demonstrate the degree to which our cognitive biases are being intentionally manipulated and, and some of the repercussions of that on, on democracy and some of the things that we, we can do about it, certainly as individuals. Uh, there'll be a lot more on that coming from me soon. It's a slightly angrier write-up than my normal vibe, but I hope you enjoy it nonetheless. And you can buy that in the books section of my website. Finally, to say that the aim of this podcast is to explore impactful ideas and provide alternative perspective on, on important topics like democracy, like technology, like education. Um, and if you want to keep supporting the podcast, you can do it in some really simple ways. One is by signing up to my newsletter. That's on my website, johnbarnes.me. Uh, you can subscribe through the podcast app. That helps a lot. You can give the podcast a star rating on the app as well, which, which I'd really appreciate. You can share it on social media with your friends, or you can contribute financially on a monthly pay-what-you-want basis, which you can do on patreon.com forward slash John Barnes. Um, finally, one thing that always really helps is to receive comments and feedback, which you can do by email, and that's hi at johnbarnes.me. So thanks for your time. I'm really grateful to be doing this. Okay, on to this week's episode. This week I'm speaking to Xu Yang Lin from V Taiwan. V Taiwan is one of the greatest case studies there is really to demonstrate how we could use technology to create a far deeper and more distributed form of democracy than the clunky legacy systems currently permit. So in, in V Taiwan they're using a combination of technology and in-person facilitated conversations. To make decisions, it seems far faster than is normally the case with far more information and far more input from citizens than most places you'll ever have heard of, really. I first came across V Taiwan when I was writing my book, Democracy Squared, and I've been really keen to speak to somebody from inside the movement for a while. So in this conversation, we talk about a few things. One is the sunflower movement in Taiwan that led to the V Taiwan movement. And I didn't know much about that, so that was really interesting for me to see uh, the, the grassroots nature of this movement. We talk a lot about how uh, V Taiwan has been used to change laws. Um, specifically, we talk about the case study of how laws surrounding the Uber app were changed as a result of the V Taiwan process. We talk about social change, decision making, um, and we talk. Uh, we we take take you through the V Taiwan process itself, which is really really thorough and comprehensive. So I think how technology could be used to redesign democracy for the good, and and I I hope that really inspires you. 
Perhaps what even is more inspiring, though, is to hear some of the ethos with which this is being done. And I think what you're, you probably won't be able to miss here is the degree to which my guest is humble and has a real commitment to values of transparency, inclusion, diversity. And this is amazing to hear and even better to hear how the ethos of the civic tech community uh, is slowly spreading around the world. So if you think democracy needs an upgrade, you'll get plenty of food for thought here. Um, if, if you're familiar with my work on that, um, this, I think, is a, is a good deep exploration into one of the, the best proponents of, uh, of redesigning democracy that, that there probably currently is in the world, really. So with no further ado, I give you my conversation today with Shu Yang Lin of V Taiwan, and I've entitled this conversation, How Might We Organize Ourselves Online? Enjoy. Okay, Shu, welcome to the podcast. Hi, nice to be here. It's great. Thank you for joining me. Uh, so I've been following V Taiwan's work for some time, so it's nice to finally speak to someone. I actually spoke to, um, I interviewed Colin McGill from Polis for my book, oh, cool. Democracy Squared, a few years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I spoke to Colin, but I never actually spoke to someone from V Taiwan. So the, so, so the details of the broader process, uh, I'm going to get an education in today. So that's really fun. Well, happy to be here and try to introduce retail. I'm only one of the contributors, but Colin is also one of our retail friends, sort of, sort of, uh, sort of say. But yeah, let me know if there's anything I can try to explain. Yeah, wonderful. I think you actually you said called yourself a contributor there, but I saw online by email you call you called yourself one of the many nobodies or something. <laughs> <laughs> can you yeah. tell me what's behind that title? Yeah, so this one is a project out of a civic tech community called GovZero in Taiwan. And in GovZero, uh, it's written as G0V in contrary to GOV. So what we do in GovZero is mainly um, uh, having this uh, mindset of being nobody, which means we can you know, start doing things uh, even when nobody's telling us to do it. So instead of saying, like, why is nobody doing this? We can you know, already be that nobody and start doing things. Right, so it's about having that culture of, of autonomy and initiative somehow. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. All right, so I mean, I think we're going to have to set quite a bit of context. My assumption is that something like V Taiwan is quite new to a lot of people. Surprisingly few people, I find, have heard of it. Mm -hmm. um, so we might need to do some, some broad stuff first before going into the detail. Um, so why, why don't we do that? Um, if we set some context, um, why don't you tell us a bit about v what, what V-Taiwan is and, and what you're doing there, first of all? Yeah, sure. So, um, like I said, V-Taiwan is a project uh, from, from uh, a civic tech community in Taiwan. Um, it's mainly uh, working on experimenting an open consultation process for digital regulatory reform. So that means um, in Taiwan, we want to have a way for, for whoever, citizens or governments, any kinds of stakeholders to change regulations whenever we want. So this process, we Taiwan as a process, or you can say it's an experiment. Anyway, this place and field or time and space provides people to um, raise an issue, raise an regulation they want to modify, and, and, and then in the end, it will lead to a result of 
having a regulatory proposal and we'll send it to the parliament. Um, so in short, it's an experiment in Taiwan that we want to try out another way of um, making law and regulations. Mm -hmm. And that, that's using a blend of online and, and in-person stuff, right? Yeah, so in V-Taiwan, we, we actually don't have a, um, uh, a designed software behind. It's basically a pool of open source software we selected or we discussed that are nice to have, including Polis, the software Colin and his team made. Um, that's a tool, one of the tools we use uh, to collect, for example, opinions from the internet. So there are also the tools on the VTOM process. So there's another term called VTOM process from, say, collecting um, some, uh, say, from having an issue to collecting opinions from society to finally reach a proposal to the parliament. It's an entire process. And on every stage of the process, we kind of use different kind of softwares we can find and many of them are open source tools mm, so these aren't these aren't things that you've built for purpose there this is a sort of curated list of available technology that to all of us yeah exactly the only thing we curate is the list so we don't yeah. really build any program we just use them okay all right and, and what do you what do you do or what what do you you know when you have that awkward moment when you meet someone and they say oh what do you do for a living um, you're, I'm assuming your answer isn't as simple as most people, but what do you say? Yeah, I'm a nobody in Taiwan. I'm um, a nobody. Just whoever wants to do something, if, and they ask, why is nobody doing this? I'm like, hey, I'm not nobody. I'm going to help. So what I do, okay. <laughs> um, the things I've done before uh, are like designing the website um, because there, there was a website and I think it could look a bit nicer and easier to, to, to navigate. Uh, another thing is to draw the VTime process, uh, just to illustrate that uh, for people to, you know, easily understand what is going on in Taiwan and things how we organize hackathon every week, every Wednesday evening, uh, from seven to ten, uh, basically. Uh, so what I do is I book the room and I announce where and when everyone should meet. Um, sometimes I order the pizza for people. <laughs> Yeah, things like that. It's an important part of the decision-making process, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So maybe something, I want to go into a bit more of the context, but just before I do, V-Taiwan, it, it's not a for-profit company, right? It's. Can you describe like if it has any legal structure or ownership structure, just, w just what that is? Because I think it's important to, to know those things before we go into the topic we're about to go into really yeah it's definitely not a company it's a it's a project and it's not for profit um it's basically a bunch of uh, volunteers from all kinds of disciplines say designers programmers and we work whenever we could and it's also a virtual community we live on the internet so we have uh, for example a slack channel we communicate there and we meet up face to face every week um mm -hmm. there's no more like legal structure behind. So it's not it's not like an, a, incorporated as an NGO or anything like that. It's it's just a project with yeah. a group of nobodies. 
yeah, we sometimes call ourselves community, but that could mean many things from different contexts. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So in that case, what I think we should start off by doing really is is going back in into the past um, to understand where all this came from, um, rather than jumping straight into uh, the details of the V-Taiwan process, some of the, the amazing case studies to come out of it uh, and how you've used you know, not just technology, but, but design in general to, to do something that, well, that just makes sense really. And that's really inspiring. I think it's important to understand the political environment, I guess, that it was, that it came from. So my understanding is that the, the context is that, uh, it, it kind of emerged out as the sunflower demonstrations in 2014. Um, but, but maybe you can, you can just start us there if that is the place to start uh, and just lay the ground for, for the context in which this movement came about really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay. So sunflower movement, um, I think it's a very beautiful movement. Um, but anyway, uh, what happened in 2014, um, was that some students, uh, couldn't bear with, uh, the parliament's member, uh, some willingness to talk about a surface trade deal with Beijing. So the students went into the parliament of Taiwan and occupied there for around 22, 23 days there. And inside they were asking for a real deliberation on that surface trade deal. Um, so that happened. And my personal point of view of how that movement got succeeded was um, because the entire movement was live streamed and GovZero community did help a lot on bringing um, live stream devices or just bring, bring very you know, thick cables and uh, a very good Wi-Fi uh, server. Mm. And inside they tried to broadcast the entire um, Occupy to the world. So everything is recorded and documented for the entire world to see so that you know, no one can really say another story. Um, and then after that, because we all know, like from the entire society, we can feel a sense that no one wants to have uh, Occupy every day, every week or every month. So we, <laughs> Sounds exhausting. You know, <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the government officials at that time, uh, Jacqueline Tsai, she was the cyberspace minister. And she went to one of the GovZero hackathons um, and proposed this idea of having a platform for more you know meaningful discussion on all kinds of social issues and probably lead to a regulatory reform um GovZero hackathon is actually um not a one-off event it's uh, every two months GovZero organize a hackathon uh probably around in average 200 to 300 people will participate in the hackathon maybe just, maybe just explain what GovZero is as well yeah um, yeah, GovZero is a civic tech community. So uh, just a bunch of civic hackers, if you know the term civic hacker. Mm. Um, uh, I don't even know how to explain that. Civic hacker, it's like, in the beginning, I, I thought hackers in Taiwan uh, is defined by people who are good at programming, but also care about social issues. Uh, and also they work on projects or idea that is related to helping those social issues. So like crowdsourcing, uh, open sourced dictionary, for example, or when there's a major disaster in Taiwan happened and people on the internet try to help out on filling up the injured uh, list of names. 
uh, or a list of you know resources where people can go to to find some more water or some list of hospitals where people are providing houses or spaces for for um, the injured people. Uh, so projects like that or like air pollution, just a bunch of air boxes in Taiwan, people hand out uh, open source devices to you know um, different. Um, uh, context and ask them to just put an air box in their household and record the air quality. Um, so things like that. And GovZero has lots of lots of projects around, uh, let's say in general, civic ideas. Um, and this community is, you know, has been quite active active since 2012. Um, and uh, in 2000, since 2009 maybe quite early and then in 2014 the sunflower movement took place and they were there from the very beginning to help out uh, uh, setting up the internet and live streaming so this community uh, I think in Taiwan has been quite recognized as you know uh, lots of uh, enthusiastic uh, warm-hearted um, programmers wanting to help and then interestingly the community grew um, and became a very dynamic community, not only programmers inside, but also, you know, civil, um, uh, civil servants also join the community and say they want to provide some um, professional point of view on how a public servant actually work. Um, and people like journalists from um, many countries, from, from many places came to, um, write a story for us uh, and then some designers some artists also join a group and try to create some beautiful artwork um, then this community just become very vivid and very interesting and many different kinds of direction grew up and um, around uh, around sunflower movement uh, I think that's when the moment when the the democracy was more mature the technology were more mature and the society just got this you know, huge bump by Beijing didn't want to, uh, by Beijing wanting to sign the Soviet contract deal while MP didn't want to discuss and we're rushing into signing it in 30 seconds. So people were really uh, angry about it and started the, the whole movement. Um, yeah, so after that Occupy, um, the minister, went to the hackathon and proposed this idea. And that's probably how V21 actually got started. We wanted to create a space uh, for citizens in Taiwan, including government or public servants, uh, to propose ideas on how they want to iterate democracy or iterate regulations. And some programmers or uh, and designers uh, in the hackathon took the challenge and built Vita one in around two weeks and they just got it, the first prototype running and started putting event uh, putting uh, issues inside and is at this point is this done um like officially or is this kind of a side simulation of what the world could be like like is it is it officially endorsed or or not so much hmm it's a good question like i like when it's hard to say when it is officially endorsed. Even now, uh, the government actually work with people from P P Taiwan, but um, they can always turn uh, turn down uh, anything. Mm -hmm. 
they can always say uh, they're too busy to view any of the proposals. But it actually, um, the, the atmosphere in Taiwan right now is quite uh, like, if the government has something to say, if the government has to turn down one of the proposals from Taiwan, they really have to uh, have a good reason because from Taiwan we're really collecting um, what the people are thinking, you know, from the internet, from uh, from face-to-face -face meetings, a very long process of figuring out the consensus from society. So if the proposal is there in front of the, the you know, the door of the government in the ministry, um, we kind of require to have a reply from the government. Mm. Yeah, they kind of look, they look pretty bad to not interact with that, right? Yeah, but yeah, they, they would look very bad. But but what happened normally is the government actually came to Taiwan to you know propose um, a case they want to discuss about. So for example, when um, when Uber took place in Taiwan, when Uber came to Taiwan, um, um, you know many taxi drivers were uh, trying to organize a protest and surrounding the Ministry of Transportation, and um, that time the the Ministry of Transportation actually came to Vitaon and said, hey, could you help us, you know, find out the consensus from the society? And that's the, probably the first case we used. We used police to help out uh, collecting consensus um, because, you know, uh, we were expecting a lot of people going to participate in, in the discussion. You know, lots of taxi drivers, Uber drivers, Uber passengers, or just in general people working on shared economy. Hmm. Yeah, and and so, I mean, maybe we should just go go into that. I'm, I'm my brain's got two two modes now. I think it would be great to go into the Uber case study and the process um, um, specifically, but maybe first just finish off um, with this bit of context. You'd you'd almost finish setting, I think. So so you just explained that the sunflower movement happened. Um, man, you you said you felt it was a really beautiful movement. Uh, I'm guessing because of the spirit of it um, and that this one of the success measures or one of the success factors rather um, was that the protesters brought a load of technology with them so that the the truth of what was happening in the room could be live streamed and therefore not misre misrepresented you said mm -hmm. they went on to create this prototype within a couple of weeks uh, and yeah. I think that's where we left left the context setting so if you can just finish off that piece and then maybe maybe you go and after that, go and take us through uh -huh. the V-Taiwan okay. process because I, I think it's, um, you know, I've read the, the white paper you sent and stuff and it's it's so rigorous uh, that I think I'd love to actually delve into to that detail properly. But first, just fin finish off with this context setting stuff. Yeah, so after these two weeks of prototyping, uh, we simply just started running V-Taiwan. Um, I think the first batch of cases are from mainly from, from the government's side, from the minister who proposed to have this platform. So she um, asked some ministries to propose a case and, you know, discuss the case through V-Taiwan. Um, and the making of V-Taiwan is kind of an ongoing process. So I actually stopped there in purpose because, you know, after that two weeks of making, um, we um, we kind of just continued the the making and iteration until even now. Um, right. 
yeah, it's uh, we we yeah, it's a very iterative process. You know, the the process of Itaewon, the uh, softwares we use, or even when and how and uh, who are there in the hackathon. You know, when and how we meet and who are there in the hackathon and what food we eat in the hackathon are just all um, changing all the time. But we do have this default process. But anyway, the Vita one setting is kind of, you know, it's an iterative process. It just didn't stop the the making process. Yeah, I guess this is actually very indicative of <clears throat> what we're talking about and and the old versus new world kind of mindsets. That there's no event where there was no Vita one and now there's Vita one. It's just an mm. ongoing, organic and iterative process. Um, which of course I'm sure you and I would agree makes more sense, um, but is surprisingly rare. Um, so maybe we, we can go into that in a sec. Maybe in that case, just the final piece of context is just to understand Taiwan's political environment. I'm guessing none of my listeners will be from Taiwan um, and very few <laughs> familiar with Taiwan. I'm certainly not. So maybe you can just... Um, just give give a, a a brief kind of understanding of the the culture and environment around around politics mm-hmm. uh, in Taiwan in general. Yeah, so um, let's start from when I was born. When we nineteen eighty eight, the martial law was just lifted a year ago, um, and that's kind of how we started having a real democracy. Uh, in general, we started to have our first election uh, of president in 1996 only. Um, but on this trajectory, you can see how democracy grow hand in hand with technology. So we have the first election in 1996, and that's also when World Wide Web uh, got introduced to Taiwan. Um, then before that, we also and do you have- think those two things, um, they mm-hmm. correlate, but do you think they're causal? <laughs> Yeah, I think there it's important that it happens uh, hand in hand together around the same year, um, because you you can clearly see the pattern when you know say uh, TV arrived, we start have TV debate uh, for mayor's election, and you know when World Wide Web uh, arrived, when internet arrived, we started to see this civic tech community started to grow. Um, so I think the democracy in Taiwan grows pretty much together with how technology got introduced. And sorry, I'll turn that off. <laughs> um, so I was saying, yeah, the the democracy events, democratic events in Taiwan, pretty much grow um, hand in hand with how technology got introduced to to this this land. Uh, yeah, and when sunflower movement took place, I think it's the moment when technology, democracy, and the civil society got really ready to deliberate on something we all care about. And then after that, we feel like we want to st- still, you know, we want to continue this process of deliberation. You know, it's, it's like, this is so beautiful. We want to continue on this democratic process and um, continue on listening to each other and figuring out what we all want as a society, as a whole, entire society. We want to figure out what is the solution that can um, solve, uh, that can, that, what is the solution we can all live with. So um, I think this is basically the context of Taiwan until now. And 
with V Taiwan, uh, it's a project we are we're using to to explore experiment on if this kind of direct or digital deliberation process can um, can actually work. What are the what are the early results? If you, if you had if I had to. <laughs> Yes, like can does it work? <laughs> Maybe right now. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it it works quite well. Uh, at this moment, uh, when I'm telling you, it worked quite well. Um, I think um, we have so let's talk about numbers. We have uh, around twenty six cases discussed on the Taiwan, and around twenty five of them got uh, some sort of change uh, in in our regulations, mm. including five low amendments and one of them are uh, Uber uh, discussion. So mm -hmm. I think uh, in in a sense of, does, does the dis if you're asking, does the discussion on Vitaewon, does the cases on Vitaewon actually uh, contribute to some influence in, in Taiwanese government? It does. It does contribute some changes to the law and regulations in Taiwan. Um, but if you're asking, say, um, are people ready? Are People all, you know, have under the 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 radar of internet. Are is everyone, you know, able to be part of the discussion? I think there's a lot to discuss also. Mm. In what sense? Are you saying in terms of access to the internet, or are you saying in terms of readiness from a like attitudinal point of view? Yeah, I, I think I'm saying both. I see Vita One could be a process of um, bringing up um, the civic literature at the same time, because in the in the hackathon we um, deliberately organized the event as an open um, open event, meaning whoever can participate, and whoever participates in the hackathon can have a say on how we want to change the Bitcoin process and have a say on um, altering the direction of an ongoing case. So in this process, people uh, do observe other participants and uh, kind of learned and figured out how um, deliberation could um, be executed or be conducted, mm -hmm. facilitated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just because for me personally, I only joined V Taiwan uh, for two years, since you know since 2016, the end of 2016. And that time, I didn't know much about deliberation, politics, or uh, how as a as a citizen I could be part of, I could participate in in a you know social issue debate, or if I didn't even know I could influence the um the result and uh provide ideas and have a say on the regulation in the end that's like all the things i didn't really have much idea about um and in this two years i learned a lot and started to contribute to the process and you know bring more people to the process and i started mm. to see say people like my high school mate <laughs> come into the hackathon and, and starting you know contributing their skills it's beautiful and it's interesting that i guess you would um you know you're contributing as a citizen so that's good but i love this idea that contributing by contributing as a citizen you're learning how to be a better citizen 
and mm. and the cycle continues like in some way you know i think in in most places and cultures and countries we we probably or certainly in the west i think they certainly lack a like knowledge as to how to be a good citizen and how to participate and how to make proposals and um and it sounds like the process that you have created makes it makes it possible for people to learn how to be better citizens and how to contribute yeah i i'm quite interested in um knowing how to build this kind of community from scratch also because when i arrived this community has been there already and what I, what i could observe uh is that um in which we simply organize hackathons that actually means open space and you know just you just tell uh you just announce where uh, and when to meet up and people simply just drop by and by doing that i think um it creates access to whoever care about uh, a certain social issue to arrive and discuss yeah so it's not just about the decision that is made it's it's about the fact that people are convening and and that there's a sense of community around around the the shared world that you're all in there mm-hmm. yeah okay so um maybe this would be a good moment to start dipping into the detail then so i know that v taiwan has a few stages to the process um my assumption is that listeners will will find this interesting on a few levels there's the technology part which i think um is the headline kind of bit it's the it's the thing that that gets people clicking on this stuff um mm-hmm. but then below that there's the in person work that is done uh so using facilitation particularly and and the methods that you have around that i think yeah. is really interesting so maybe you can just just run us through the the vtai1 process as it stands um and i i i know that it's a it's a constant iteration so it probably stands differently already to what i've read but um but why don't you take us through that process yeah we just changed it last week <laughs> exactly amazing but <laughs> yeah. if if a government could release a a bug fix on a on a weekly basis that that would be an amazing an amazing thing to see so that's yeah. that's cool to hear <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah there's uh, still a, a very uh, rough process if i could explain i can probably say roughly four stages um the first stage is called a uh, proposal which means someone from the community would propose an idea or an issue they want to discuss about and then from there we can um start curating the content of that proposal and see if um if the community agrees to to move on this case to move forward this case and the requirement will be just one very simple requirement which is the um both the government and the society will agree to be committed to the discussion so that means in in the vitoin hackathon uh, there should be at least one person from the government uh, willing to be the contact contact and one person from the society willing to be the contact also and both of them are committed to um discuss about this particular case and from there the second stage is um we call opinion um which means collecting opinions from the society so that includes uh lots of research uh and collecting um different opinions 
from the internet and also from face-to-face -face interviews, um, uh, interviewing or chatting with people related uh, to this case or this issue, and then arriving to curate some contents where we can put on the forum of Taiwan. Um, and the, the only minimum content we should have is maybe a, a slide, a deck of slides, uh, some description and a title of this topic. So it's very simple, just these three items, uh, we can already start a, a case. And the third stage is re reflection, uh, where we bring people from kind of online-based to offline-based again, and using online as a documentation. So which means every face-to-face -face, face meetings or consultation meetings we have will be at the same time live streamed to the internet. Um, but the main discussion is still in a face-to-face -face space where we, we sit all the stakeholders, mainly active um, contributors on this issue uh, around a table and just uh, discuss about the opinions they brought up from the internet. And then the, four, the fourth stage uh, or the final stage is actually drafting the bill and sent to, to the parliament or to the executive department. Um, so that's basically the four <laughs> stages, we can roughly say. And then at that fourth stage, when that bill is sent to the parliament, that, can they say yeah. no? I mean, yeah, well, has course. it? Has it yeah. All right, okay. And, yeah. and I mean, do they say no? Uh, very rare, I think. Very rare. Uh, they do, they did say that sometimes we, we ourselves stop a case right in the middle of the process. So for example, in the, uh, in a case of, uh, cyberbullying. Yeah, there mm. was a case about cyberbullying. We discussed about how online bullying is kind of not tor tolerable and, and, um, we want to find regulations for that. And eventually, we actually found the regulation for that. So right before drafting a new bill, we just kind of announced, say, hey, guys, we found it. This is like something we can use, and we just need to share the news to, to um, relevant stakeholders, and, and that's it. So actually, we ourselves stopped right before drafting the bill. Um, so what do you mean, though, that you, because you found the solution, but it's, you've just not passed it as law? Yeah, we found a solution that is existing already. There was a law already for um, for cyberbullying. So okay. it just wasn't really clear that time. So we just kind of announced, say, hey, guys, we found the solution already. So there's no need to to send a new bill to, to the parliament. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. I, get, I get that. And so, yeah. the, so these are the four stages. We've got the proposal stage, opinion stage, reflection stage, and legislation stage. Some are more online than offline. Some are more offline than online. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, it's a, but it's a blend of both. Maybe at this point it would be worth taking us through this but using a concrete example, which I'm assuming would be the, the famous UberX example, which is one that I, I covered in my book because it was pretty remarkable. But but maybe there's been some better cases, I don't know. So so maybe take us through that process applied to a case with a level of detail. And I'll, I'll ask some questions throughout. All right. Yeah, but there are so many articles around Uber case online yeah. already. Um, yeah, the Uber case started from, um, from actually the Ministry of Transportation come into V-Taiwan and say, hey, could, you, could we discuss about the case of Uber because we really want to know how to solve it. And then the proposal got through. And what was the problem? 
Uh, the problem was... Uh, there's many was, problems to Uber, but, <laughs> but what yeah, was this particular problem. problem? I think the trigger was when Uber started to... No, no sorry. The trigger was when uh, the taxi union started to protest um, and kind of surrounded the Ministry of Transportation and kind of paralyzed the entire block. And they got really like, okay, we now have to really face what is happening and face how do we solve this issue and started to say, find, they found V-Taiwan and started to say, hey, let's try to collect opinion from the society. And they, they um, and after, after the case got uh, established on V-Taiwan's platform, we started to collect opinions from, from different places um, and ask stakeholders and how they thought about this issue. Um, the interesting part of this case is uh, that it's the first time we use polis as a software because we did expect many people would contribute to to the discussion and before uber's case i think bitcoin's platform uh, didn't have say more than four thousand participate uh, participants to any kind of issue and in this issue we were expecting more than that so we started to, you know, look out for other softwares, and at the moment we found Polis, and some people chatted with Colin, and we thought there could be some uh, could be a nice tool to use to try out. So we basically just started from trying out um, and see if Polis actually work, and they did quite an amazing job on collecting consensus or computer consensus from around 200,000 people. So right. it's very, you know, just lots of people contributed to the public conversation and we collected the opinion and we found consensus on top. Um, yeah, and maybe just for listeners to understand what polis, I think you put, um, you put a few statements in about uber right for people to agree disagree or pass and then they can add their own statements and comments and over time the ai understands what are the the different camps the different thoughts going on here it's, the ai is is finding the consensus in the group is that correct yeah yeah correct yeah so in polis i think how it works is pretty much the same as how netflix works because um, by people voting on different opinions. Okay, I should probably explain in a more <laughs> neutral way. Um, so in, in this police uh, software, um, there are three sections. The first section, you can view a lot of opinions from other people. And the second section, you can also put in your own opinion. And the third section will visualize where you are in this conversation. And the opinions are just mainly texts. Um, from all kinds of use, from 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 uh, from other users or yourself, um, and the algorithm behind how how these opinions got visualized is pretty much the same, uh, pretty much the same as how we um, how Netflix works. It's a it's an algorithm called principal component analysis. Um, so uh, behind the algorithm, you can see probably an array of uh, with one axis. Uh, naming the people and another access naming the 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 other opinions 
and people will vote through all kinds of opinions and you can probably vote for agree disagree or i don't know simply pass or it could be uh haven't seen the opinion yet so there are four different values in this array um so by user interacting with the interface which uh, actually collects lots of data in this um people and opinion array and with that array uh, we can calculate the principal components of this this n like this n dimension uh, space of notes or opinions and then with that we pick two specs specifically two um, principles and just project that project the entire conversation to this 2d interface on the on the website so that's the basic algorithm behind um, kind of projecting a whole conversation if there are n uh, opinions in this conversation it's becoming an n-dimension world and then we pro mm. project the entire world to a 2d interface and the two assets in this 2d interface is the most prominent most or principled assets to uh, to this conversation so which means from these two assets you can have a better understanding of how the conversation look um, right yeah that's, and so this is and this is here how so this is the opinion stage where you're using the polis ai and it's helping you to understand like what people what people are really thinking about this topic uh, yeah and so, so you got you got thousands of people involved then what happens in this in this uber story yeah so from from the polish interface uh there's a button called major majority opinion and we simply click on the majority opinion and we can find we can find um several core opinions from 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 this conversation and we simply rectify all of them into regulation in the end so that's basically what happened in, in the Uber case. On the consultation meeting, we had a face-to-face -face discussion with all uh, stakeholders and also inviting people from the society, from, from the civil society who want to um, be part of the, the meeting. And at the same time, have this live stream video and broadcasting the entire event where they can put in their, their opinions. Uh, on a online chat channel as well, and then the facilitator sitting at the end of the table will read out their um, their uh, chat uh, from time to time. So people online and offline can have like some kind of discussion around this case altogether. And in this meeting, we discussed through all the ma ma major opinions um, from the the Uber um, police conversation. And then after the meeting, we simply draft all of that into regulation now. So after that- and, and who's in the room for that, this meeting? Who's, who's actually there? So the, the, the people, I'm using, the, I'm using air quotes, the people have spoken online and now there's this in-person uh, live streamed facilitated event um where we're going to make sense of this somehow and understand the different <laughs> perspectives going on um, right. now, who, who's yeah. in the room for that um yeah so there are um there are some there i think there are two representatives from uber and there's a uh, taxi union in taiwan and there's um, some governmental officials from 
specifically from um, uh, Ministry of Transportation and a facilitator sitting at, at the end of the table and a minister who actually proposed to have this V Taiwan platform were also there and some um, professors from the academic world were also there. And you know, some experts who know much about the internet were yeah, also there in the meeting. So in total, there were around 30 people in a room. Um, yeah, and with some other people as a crew live streaming the event. So in a way, the, the citizens have spoken online and continue to speak online through the, the kind of chat and commenting and live streaming components. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the, room, the room is comprised mainly of the different um, parties in terms of Uber, Uber and the union as like opposing parties, I'm guessing, as well as so-called experts, but, but not. The, in, I guess what I'm saying is that in the room, there's, no, there's not room for loads of citizens to also be in there, right? Yeah, there's no room for lots of citizens and also government officials neither. Like we, uh, the people who are sitting in that room are mainly depending on who are more active from the uh, previous stage, which is the, the police conversation on the internet and another forum from Taiwan. So we uh, invited people who are more active in the, in the online discussion and also people who um, uh, are related to those points or opinions they they brought up to to this room right so that all the so that those different thoughts that have emerged online are represented in the room uh yeah yeah by by the facilitator reading all their comments from time to time okay all right cool so so this this conversation's happening you've got you've got the the audio and video crew and the facilitator um uh, and they're they're going through the different opinions, and then then what happens? Uh, and then we then we can give people the results because I think the results are are really interesting. So I think at this point we're in the reflection stage. Is that right? Yeah, um, yeah, we're in the reflection stage now, and then the um, um, administration pledged to ratify all the police consensus items into a new regulation which um, includes um, the first taxis no longer need to be painted yellow because in Taiwan all taxis are were yellow and now they don't have to be yellow um, and the second the um, the app-based taxis are free to operate as long as they don't um, undercut existing meters so there's also another phenomenon in Taiwan before that um, uh, it requires a certain procedure for taxis to have uh, an app and now they can just freely um, develop their own uh, rolling app. And um, so things like uh, per right taxation is required to report to the Ministry of Finance um, which actually gives Uber a very hard time because um, before Uber didn't pay tax at all. And after these sets of uh, consensus items got ratified into regulations, uh, Uber that time actually had to leave Taiwan for quite a while um, because they were given a ticket, a fine, pretty huge fine. And 
uh, at that moment, I didn't plan to obey the regulation. Uh, so they actually left Taiwan for around six months, and then in the end, I came back to Taiwan and decided to follow all the regulations. Right. So yeah. So th this is. Um, but I'm guessing also this was in a way this is the best user testing and research that a company <laughs> could do. <laughs> so this is gonna like you know there's there's an overlap between democracy and like user-led design um which is that you you know what people need and then you you help fulfill their needs and um, democracy and design should both aim to do that so i'm guessing post fine uber had some knowledge about what people really needed that they they maybe didn't didn't have or didn't didn't fully acknowledge beforehand i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah you're totally right i think they uh it's probably the moment they found out okay that's also the consensus of taiwan you know probably before they didn't know much about um what their users are really thinking about they do provide very good service they do uh, have a really nice looking app you know it's very well functioning and um it's very easy to use it's very simple but what do people think behind um, when when they are using their app? You know, do they care about? I think people in Taiwan are saying that we all care about how um, uh, companies run in Taiwan, how you know the culture of company and what the company believes. And if the company is not gonna pay tax or follow regulation or you know ensure the safety of customers and drivers, then probably we're just not gonna say yes to you. So the regulation actually reflects uh, what the society was thinking, and then Uber probably also, you know, just came back and think about it, and you know, <laughs> in the end, came back to provide a good service for for Taiwan, especially. Mm, I love this democracy as 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 user testing. I think is a is a is a concept to write up for sure. Yeah, is um, it going to be the title of the? podcast yeah maybe maybe so <laughs> how, how might how might we help companies through democracy um cool. okay that sounds pretty cool so there's a couple of elements that i want to go into here that might be interesting for people so one is the role of the so this is online and offline um i'm going to go to the offline element first so there are facilitators running these meetings um mm -hmm. And I guess, um, so I've, I've spoken about facilitation a bit on this podcast before. Uh, and my, my listeners will, will be familiar with what I'm talking about. I'm interested to ask you um, both about the role of the facilitator in the meeting. I know there's a bit of a method that is used, so it could be interesting to understand that. But also um, how the facilitator is selected and trained. Because what I've argued before in my writings is that um, the role of a representative is to represent and the best way to do that is through facilitation so that you you have no you mm -hmm. have no say in the content of the conversation you're there to shepherd the process by which the conversation happens um, and in my experience the best facilitators i've met have a level of self-awareness and self-knowledge um, that, that is inspiring and are therefore able to not put their own sort of egoic desires into the conversation um, uh, and, and sort of manipulate the conversation accordingly. So I'm interested into, into how you've seen facilitation work in this context and, and, and how you see it going in the future, I guess. Mm, 
yeah i think facilitator is um oh probably the most um crucial part in this process because well in terms of it hasn't been changed or modified that much compared to other processes in taiwan um the facilitator in this especially in this consultation meeting is extremely important because it's the person who actually has some knowledge about a certain issue but also are not biased by any parties and he or she will be um facilitating the process through just directing the questions um people brought up in in the meeting room um, but in the very beginning we all um uh refer to the all, all the stakeholders refer to the same report from police or if not police if there's another case not using police we all refer to the result from the previous stage so i think the facilitator in Vitoran's consultation process can actually have some um some base to to start from so, by right, so, so they've got some objective facts yeah there. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they they got some uh, facts on how this discussion has been at this moment, and what people are thinking, or what are the uh, the concerns, what are the, the the core issues or opinions people are addressing addressing at this moment. And the facilitator would um, from the beginning they would sit uh, every participant uh, on the same page. And starting uh, to, you know, ask the the opinions from from stakeholders in the meeting, and I think after that, that's probably the most difficult part. And after that, uh, as a facilitator, he or she needs to be just very neutral about um, uh, uh, driving any kind of questions to the person who uh, are interested in answering these questions um yeah that's probably it because the entire meeting is recorded uh, and also so no deadline for having a consultation meeting which actually means after these two hours if we want to talk more we can talk more and you know organize another consultation meeting part two you know so it's no rush um, no need to hurry into any kinds of conclusion um right because i was thinking if there's conflict in right. in the meeting uh like the the role of the facility i mean that is uh from in my experience a really tricky moment as a facilitator to help to make what is currently a destructive conversation constructive uh, yeah i'm getting, having having a lot more time is is one way of achieving that um tell me a bit more about how how the facilitator is operating in, in that kind of circumstance when there's a conflict yeah um, yeah okay when there's a conflict we if i were the facilitator i would ask um people who feel like there's a conflict to explain the conflict and most of the time i see um more um lexicons come up uh in this in these moments when people are starting um talking through their own point of views and as a facilitator i would say bring uh, bring the question and open the question to everyone in this room say who can probably um, have some feedback to to this question and just smoothly that everyone who want to talk talk 
and just taking turns and recording. So you're just making sure that if there's a conflict, let's say between two people, it's mm-hmm. important to get more perspectives into the conversation and that that in of itself will will start to dilute that conflict. Mm, yeah, I think it's mainly about uh, repeating what uh, we are hearing and making sure there's no uh, conflict to a conflict and let <laughs> the other side also respond to that and probably bring up a space for a third point of view because that's also important and see if there's any kind of current solutions we can all look at at this moment if there are three conflicts from the three sides from the same conflict uh, at this moment and probably we'll just you know read through what is the thing we have right now and see if everybody agrees on those um, agreed stuff uh, and then um, yeah, see if, if if we could go from there and you know continue um, the the discussion. So it's for me facilitation is just it's very very important, and I I also love how um, I also love to see how um, these complicated issues could be um, nicely facilitated. Um, especially in the Uber case, when I when I look at the video, I I can see lots of moments there are that are um like the facilitator was trying to was not trying too hard to push the risk to push to the result but just trying to get the fact out and to have everyone sitting on the same page again and again and again Mm. right so the the what the facilitator is really doing there is creating common ground i see i see it Mm. as you've got these two circles that are far apart and the facilitator's role is to just uh, the thing they're trying to do is create the venn diagram in the middle where we we have a uh, (laughs) we're all more and more all agreeing that these are the facts um Mm. and then and then as we do that the solutions start to emerge Um, and i also like what you said about you know there's there's decision a or b and adding Mm. a c is a is a really great way to to sort of start to make more sense of this. Um, I want to go into that a little bit more, but before I do, the role of the facilitator in the VTI one process is it um, like how do you decide who is the facilitator and and does that role revolve or is it is it one person for a period of time or something? Mm, it's almost different facilitators from for for every cases. Um, okay. because the, the person has to be you know uh, has to know something about know the, the background knowledge about this case and the cases on Vitoin is always different so there's always um, almost always different people uh, facilitating the process um, yeah and that, it's, it's a bit like jury service in, in that sense and I know jury service is often right. um, or often said to be actually one of the most effective and um and sort of nuanced and balanced democratic processes yeah there is i've heard it's 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 actually like uh, really respected academically as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah sometimes from the academic sometimes from from uh, the media um mm. or sometimes from the civic tech community um yeah mm. right and um the um so the, you, you spoke a little bit about this idea of 
of one or two views. So I'm just going to read a line that is from the white paper that you wrote. Um, and I want to go into that. You spoke about it being uh, trying to achieve some sort of conceptual blend. I'm doing the quote thing now. Conceptual blend of diverse views by incorporating the most essential elements of the different perspectives into one coherent whole. Um, <laughs> so can you, so, so, but I think this is really important because what, I, what I'm getting at here is that through having facilitation and through um, the online work like the Polis platform, having so many different views, it's not a polarizing partisan situation where you vote for A or B. Um, there's there's a real blend of coherence of, of lots of different perspectives. So could you could you explain a little bit more about um, the kind of philosophy behind that? Because I think that is a real step away from what democracy is in most people's minds. I come from a country that voted in or out, as simply as that, for for being a part of the European Union, and this is quite the polar opposite to to that approach. So tell us a bit more about that, that blend that you're trying to achieve. Mm. So it's all about asking, um, it's all about figuring out the common values. Um, a, a very good example, um, kind of a metaphor, we are also looking uh, from our team is the work of social innovation because we, we know um, when society and business come to the same space, it could create conflict. Um, let's say social benefits. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> let's say, I'm going to close my telegram also. Cool. Um, so I was talking about uh, social innovation because I think that's a very good example when talking about um, figuring out the, the um, common values. So in, in, in our team, when we're uh, facilitating figuring out the solutions for social innovation projects, uh, we often see two sides came into our office uh, and try to you know have a debate and try to figure out the solution when social benefits and business profits are opposing forces and often contradicting each other and forcing the government to make trade-offs and become the the arbiter in the middle um, but the work of social innovation is mainly about asking if we, despite our different positions, do we have common values? And given that common value, can we find solutions that work for everyone? So that's the basically the basic spirit of co-creation. That's how we say um, co-create with another side to to an alternative to to the paradox. Um, so I think in the facilitation, in Taiwan's concentration meeting, it's really about finding common values from different stakeholders where people uh, probably have their own point of view uh, depending on their background or their discipline, but there's something we all agree on. So for example, we all want to be, um, uh, we all want to live in a safe society. We all want to be ensured that we, you know, if you follow the process, there's, um, there's gonna be less uh, conflicts or less wrongness um, and, say we all want to you know just as simple as live a happily life and it's like not many people would really against that um and in a way we 
are just trying to uh, just like when you put as a Venn, Venn diagram, we're trying to get closer to the middle part and try to enlarge that and see if there are other common values we can also think about and see that as the opportunity where we can start to have some brainstorming there. Well, and the things you're talking about there are human needs. Um, and, you know, because sometimes there's this conversation of having cultural differences um, in different countries or, or between different socioeconomic groups or whatever. But those human needs are probably universal. Like I can't, I can't imagine speaking to many people who don't have a need for safety uh, or belonging or understanding um, mm -hmm. So if, if you can, if you, if through the process of democracy and deliberation, you can get to, you can get to the root of those needs, uh, then building up from there should be a far easier job to do together. We might have different strategies to resolve the needs, um, but the conversation will probably be pretty collaborative because we know that we're trying to we're trying to resolve the same needs here. We're not we're not in total opposition to each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and often we can find this uh, harming style from from the from the from the stakeholders from the meeting when people started to hum a lot, and it's kind of the moment they all kind of agree with each other somehow. Uh, when you say humming style, do you mean literally in the room you hear everyone going, hmm, hmm? Yeah, <laughs> yeah like this IETF style of humming. You just start to, hmm, hmm, yeah, I understand. And, you know, they, it's the moment they started to recognize each other and just use that as a moment of, you know, it's a nonverbal signal. Okay, that's interesting. I feel like you could actually, you know, have some sort of device in the room that would measure the hum. Yeah. <laughs> the decibels of the hum. Yeah. Uh, you start to achieve a number of hums per minute and you go, okay, we've reached consensus. Mm. There's, there's a hum. There's a yeah, hum I, would, I would love to propose this uh, idea of changing the name of Taiwan to Hum Taiwan. Exactly. Oh, I actually had, uh, you might know him. I had Richard Bartlett <laughs> on the podcast. Um, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, the co-founder co of Lumio. And his, his facilitation practice is called The Hum. So I don't right. think that's why, but, <laughs> but it's a funny coincidence. That is beautiful. Um, okay, so, so, there's, um, so I, f I feel like we've had a good, a good look through the, the process there. Um, We've touched a little bit on technology. I think like the fact that there's uh, an AI used to understand the, the, the sort of the coherence of the conversation is really interesting um, because it allows us, the, the, the problem that is often discussed is how do you make sense of all the noise? And actually that's, that's a way that you can do that. Um, I'm keen to know what you think the biggest achievements of the, the VTI1 process have been my assumption is that some of them are tangible agreements like the the uber case and the legislation that's passed and some of them might more be cultural effects or or sort of secondary effects but but mm -hmm. but but let me know what are, what are the biggest wins so far hmm i personally my my, my personal point of view the biggest win of vita one is um the fact that it's reproducing itself to other countries right now so we have okay. V New York, V Japan, um, V Toronto, for example, and V, uh, uh, for example, Gavzero Italy just uh, 
Italy just uh, uh, sorry, Italy just uh, established their website as g0v.it. So there you can see another civic uh, community initiative there in Italy. So the fact that Vitoan is creating this experiment and trying out if we could create um, a space for people to freely discuss about social issues and have a real influence to, to the final regulation and laws. Um, and this model has been um, described as a recursive public where you know we can all interactively contributing our ideas inside and this model has been spreading out to other places and I think this is a very big win for me because um, although in Taiwan we have our own culture we know the process of making regulations very different uh, compared to other countries um, but uh, if we can experiment this model in different places and figure out a way we can all work together uh, that would be really beautiful I see Vitor as an experiment to try out how many people can work together basically um, it's not only about two people three people in a team of five or ten twenty people but about how say more than um four thousand two hundred thousand or even a nation like in Taiwan we have 23 million people and if we could all work together and talk together on what we want for um, the regulations or laws or what we want from our society um, and you know have this record of consensus on the internet all the time and something worth to try mm, and the this um this spreading to other places around the world mm. um so I'm, I'm guessing because of the kind of informal and self-organized um culture yeah. and structure from vita one that these groups are independent from yours is that right Mm, yeah, we yeah we're all independent. We're all connected at the same time. <laughs> they are. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is that they're yeah. not. Um, it's not the same. There's. I, I think it's worth noting that in from what I can understand, at least from what I read, there's no formal hierarchy. Certainly, that no. um, that leads the group that's now spreading across the world. This is these these people have are self-organized, just like you guys are, and they're they're copy and pasting your code both both software and um like the the human code kind of thing in terms of how how they operate and then they're iterating on that and you're all learning from each other is that right yeah what i see is uh like for example they will see okay you're you guys are making hackathons every week maybe we can have a hackathon and maybe in our country it makes sense to have every two weeks you know and you're right. ordering pizza, we're ordering hot pot, and it's just different styles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not, it's not, it's not too strict. Okay, so the, so that that's a, that sounds like an amazing achievement. Those other um, chapters, let's say, that have spread around the world, have have they got um, government buy-in? Because my understanding is that the V Taiwan process is unique in the. Uh, you collaborated with the government. I mean, from the very beginning, because I think you described it as happening from the Sunflower Movement. Whereas mm -hmm. the other, um, I've, I've worked with a, a blockchain-enabled um, tech democracy type startup called MyVote. And then I, I've, mm -hmm. I've covered others like Democracy Earth and uh, Democracy OS. And often the problem is that there's no government buy-in. In fact, they are the enemy 
Um, mm-hmm. Whereas it sounds to me like V Taiwan has some buy-in, and I'm wondering if the chapters that are spreading also have buy-in, or if that's a work in progress for them. Yeah, now I see these are more in the work in progress, especially um, uh, thinking about New York. I think there's at least two uh, similar community in New York right now working on one is called Gov Zero New York and another one is called V New York. And it's kind of copying our model to uh, to the context where the bureau in New York is probably a more... Um, uh, a nicer starting point. They can start to work out convincing the head of the borough um, to have this participation process from the society. Mm, so starting from a from a smaller level. I mean, my assumption, just going on to this um, this idea of government uh, like collaboration, I guess. I'm just curious because my 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 so far what I've noticed is that. These platforms and apps are seen by governments, from what I can understand, as enemies um, because a party will have a pre-existing ideology that makes them make decisions according to that ideology, whether that's what people want or not. I mean, they've they've often not asked in the first place. Um, And my assumption is almost as a theory of change that that what makes the V-Taiwan process unique is that you are asking people what they need and then making that data transparent and visible. And so it becomes very difficult for a government to disagree with that. And in fact, they're likely to just be held more and more accountable by that mm-hmm. knowledge being open. And so, so you kind of can't, there's nothing to compete with. There's just, there's just real, real knowledge of what real people really want. And, and that's what you have to do. And that must somehow force them into behaving democratically is that is that's like i don't know if i'm hot or cold on, on that as a summary but maybe you can get your perspective i love that you can just say that it's totally correct i i think um you got the the point that um yeah in, in a way government is one of the stakeholder in in this uh social issue conversational platform um we are now looking at the government and citizen interaction more um, side by side. Uh, in, I mean, in, in a way they're working together, collaborating together, uh, instead of having this top down or bottom up point of view. Um, not even like in the beginning, we do have this grassroots uh, initiatives and trying to you know fork the government and you know create another version and merge it back movement sort of thing. Um, and now we are just looking at the government citizens as a you know side by side collaboration model. So Vitoan is a it's a space creates uh, on the fly space for all stakeholders, including the society and the government, to participate inside and talk about social issues. And I think this is the um, I don't know, I think it's the right, right way to, to, to experiment a little bit and see how that could actually work uh, in a larger scale. Mm, it feels like the, the analogy that just popped into my head there is that if a government is a body uh, with no ears <laughs> in most countries, it's, it's a human body with two ears missing. Uh, it feels like <laughs> V-Taiwan is the ears um, but, and, and the government can't can't be democratic without you, you know I'm, I'm exaggerating yeah. but I, I think it's a yeah. funny mo- 
No, you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe on the on the flip side, I heard a little bit about your achievements. I'm assuming there'll be a a proportion of people listening who'll be uh, cynical towards this. Um, Like, you know, who are these crazy hackers? Just like hackers and hippies asking the world what they want. Uh, The world needs world (laughs) needs leadership or or something like that. I don't know. People. In debates, people often say this stuff to me, so I'm assuming they must say it to you too. What are, what are the main criticisms that, uh, and difficulties that you're facing? Hmm. Um, let's say it takes time. Uh, it takes time to reach a, a certain degree of certain resolution of solution, let's say. Um, so before we can actually come up with... Uh, um, a proposal to send to the parliament or executive department. Um, it often takes some time around, say, from a month to a year. Um, mm. but, like compared to what currently we have right now, it's still pretty pretty okay. Um, well, I was about to say, governments yeah. <laughs> aren't famous for being really quick in their decision making. Right. Is this is this actually slower or? Uh, in average, I think, well, in average, if you want to really compare, it's actually faster. <laughs> okay. Maybe it, so, and there's just yeah. somehow a perception of it being slower. Yeah. A perception of discussion actually takes time, which is actually a good thing to, to learn. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I also can... that, and also that that's okay. Like, you yeah. know, it takes time because, because it's good. Like qual- quality takes, takes time sometimes. Yeah, it's a place we can we can um, find the solution and we can all learn a process and discuss about what we want. So it actually takes time in many different layers. Mm. Okay, so that's criticism number one. It's too slow, which um, which we yeah. found on average it isn't. <laughs> criticism <laughs> number two. Right, sorry for that. <laughs> the second thing I can think of is the um, uh, uh, legitimacy of Taiwan. It's it hasn't got uh, um, precise can you say precise mm-hmm. or formal formal legitimacy yet because uh, so in the very beginning we mentioned that the government can always say no or neglect um, these proposals from you know this platform um, and we are we, we have been discussed about if Vitawan's model uh, should be institutionalized in the government's uh, body uh, in terms of saying the government should provide a platform just like Vitawan and provide this space for um, government citizen collaboration and discuss about social issues. And I think this, there's pros and cons, and we still haven't figured a solution out yet. Um, there's a there's a there's actually a regulation in the parliament right now, and it's literally saying that we should have a platform. The government should provide the platform, just like we Taiwan, so that we can have uh, real civic participation. Um, and this is in the, in, the, in the parliament right now, and in a way to be to be passed. Um, but in Vitaewan, we also worried that if there's a regulation saying that, and that could mean less flexibility or uh, less chances to u- u- use amazing softwares like Uber, because it would take a lot of time, again, to, um, to settle the software we use for, for this platform. 
if it's in a government body. So I think uh, in a in a um, you can say dilemma or in a in a choices between uh, institutionalized returns model or keeping vital one as an experiment freely from the community. It's always something we discuss about pros and cons. And for now, the solution will be if the regulation I would talk about, if the digital communication um, regulation got passed in parliament soon, I think it will make sense to, again, fork this platform from the government to the community again and have this um, double body uh, in, in, in the community. So we'll have at the same time the government running a platform and at the same time uh, the, the community running the V Taiwan kind of lab experiment center, you know, and fitting in new experiments back to the government again. Mm, this is a really fascinating um, like dilemma that I think most organizations face. But layered on top of it, there's the ethics because there's like the decision making model of democracy itself. But then we we often stop there, I think, and don't look at the decision-making structures and processes of the government that's making the decisions. Um, it's a bit like, it's analogous, I think, to big companies buying small startups. And quite often what you see is that the culture of the startup, which typically is based on a culture of iteration, experimentation, self-organization, group decision-making, all of these phenomena that I think they've existed a long time, but I think the tech scene has accelerated their progress. Um, they're like for, forms of, of, of like conscious and clever anarchism and, and, or like direct mm -hmm. democracy in many senses. Mm -hmm. um, but then as soon as the big corporate swallows the startup, quite often the culture gets lost. The startup doesn't, doesn't work fast anymore, can't innovate as fast anymore can't split test, can't, you know, fail to learn, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm assuming here the gulf is even bigger because governments are, are famously slow and hierarchical and bureaucratic. And you're not even a startup in that you're, uh, <laughs> you're, you're a series of, of hackers and activists creating with, with like really shared culture and values. Um, yeah. so, so it must be like, that's, that's quite a big clash to integrate but then having said that if you were to hear of a country where the government has officially created something like v taiwan which is which is what you're saying they're suggesting you know that would be a win in, in yeah almost yeah. anywhere so it's really tricky to you, you have to split test them somehow right yeah mm -hmm. yeah i think there are, there are several countries creating similar uh conversational platforms but probably not as decentralized as v taiwan Mm. Mm. Uh, and then there's the yeah. the added issue that the you know the the integrity of the process you could argue could get could be compromised there's some resilience to knowing that someone else is in charge of the ears um and and that it's it's happening sort of in parallel just so that it can't be corrupted mm. yeah I know, uh, I know that my vote, their the founders uh, decided to, you know, leave the, the company in maybe a few years. That's like that's one right. of the amazing um, principles I heard from them. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Adam, Adam, and, Adam and Hamish, or particularly Adam, who's the founder, he's, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. he, he put from the beginning, he put a date on how long he'd be there. Right. Um, as, voluntarily, which as a founder, 
is like pretty cool, I think. Yeah, it's like you, you say if you're getting married, at the, the end of the day, you're defining a day to get divorced. It's very beautiful. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> I tried it with Adam a little bit. Uh, in, I was in Melbourne a few months back and I tried it with right. Adam. And we were just comparing uh, my vote with the Taiwan. And, you know, my, my vote for me, it's a very cool um, system uh, backed by another, I think, I believe it's. Um, uh, cryptocurrency. That's right. Horizon state of a right. decision token. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they, they have the, this really cool model having this horizon state supporting this whole movement of my, my vote and um, trying to convince different governments like in India to, you know, like use their systems and um, be uh, utilize the democratic process in the system and be elected. So I think that's, it's a very, um, uh challenging also movement mm. well i think because the difference is that there uh, is there's some there's some need to like sell the pla the the movement for something like my vote and some others basically you have a product and mm. you need somewhere in the world to adopt it um mm. and there are two ways of that adoption happening i think one is some sort of formal adoption by a government and some is a ground uh, what did you call it earlier? Grassroots movements upwards, um, right. and my sense is that the big success, or the one of the big success factors that you guys have had, is that it came directly from a grassroots movement, which was the F Sunflower mm. Movement, which include a load of tech people, and so it. it mm. My sense is that that meant that from very early on, there were thousands of people in this movement. Yeah, yeah, from very early on, there very uh active people were good at like they, they can utilize their skills in politic fields um that's probably how and they got empowered by this particular minister coming to the hackathon and you know raised up this idea of having this platform so they're like okay now you're saying that and we're gonna make it for you and you're gonna use it so this is how everything started from the beginning worked for four years now that was audrey audrey tang right no, that was Jacqueline Tsai. It was uh, okay. the minister before Audrey Tan. And Audrey okay. Tan was actually the facilitator of the Uber case. And then she became, <laughs> two years ago, when the uh, president changed and Audrey was appointed as a digital minister two years ago. And it's when she started to work with, um, no, she was already working with the government, but she was working with the government from, from outside and now she's working with the government from inside. Right, so, so that, that shows that the V Taiwan, the people involved in the V Taiwan process are, are starting to become a part of the government as well. Uh, yeah, which exactly. Which much makes relationships and ties uh, just that little bit easier to work with, no? Yeah, and Audrey and Jacqueline basically just swapped their positions. Jacqueline became one um, one of the uh, core contributors in, in the community uh, after she right. stepped on uh, to the minister's position. And then Audrey became the minister and working with the government and trying to figure out, uh, institutionalize this platform. And well, as Jacqueline was helping on some special uh, point of view from her low expertise and helping the community to set up the, the platform. So, mm. yeah, my sense is that what something again that's unusual maybe about v taiwan uh, and really refreshing is that the 
Well, something I've seen is that the political discourse in general, of course, is very like confrontational and, and partisan and aggressive. I always use the example that uh, mm. in the House of Commons in England, there are two opposing benches because you have opposing parties and, and they face each other, you know, almost like some sort of mm-hmm. weird hacker in suits kind of thing. Um, mm. And they're just, they're just arguing at each other. But then a lot of the new tech movements that I, I like believe in and have, feel are really valuable, they actually sometimes have this same way of speaking where, where it's about like destroy, destroying an old thing or fighting against, um, mm. you know, that kind of language is used. And my sense is that despite Vito and starting from protests, it actually very quickly became a conversation, a dialogue rather than a debate. Uh, mm. And that, that seems to be having quite a big impact. It doesn't sound like you and the government are on different teams too much here, but I don't know the degree to which that's true. No, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's more about collaboration from different sides. So I think that's also why I mentioned having the third point of view is a very crucial twist uh, in a way when, we, when you see two parties against each other and fighting against each other's appointment uh, a, a, a point of views and it's the moment when having a third point of view will kind of help out um the thing and the the conversation i wonder what the dynamics in america would look like if it, it wasn't just red or blue it would probably change <laughs> change the conversation quite some bit um okay so we're starting to zoom out here i thought we'd uh, we'd kind of start start wrapping up with that um i've got a few more questions i wanted to go through with you if that's okay sure um so um one is about um if like i guess if you think of the world in general um Mm. you know i'm going to simplify this but there's some sort of shift from the old to the new Mm. um uh, or at least like there's there's a new option emerging from from what you're doing um and i'm i'm interested in what you think the the way of creating that change is you know what's your what's your kind of theory of change that that you think is is something really worth pursuing Mm, right so in this field um yeah say yeah if i confirm it's a civic uh civic uh movement I think it happens when three elements um, bump into each other, <laughs> all took place together. Um, uh, that they are the, the society, the societal power, um, and the technology behind, and also the process, or we can also frame it as a democracy. So I think the moment I saw maybe two times in Taiwan. The first time was in Sunflower Movement in Taiwan in 2014, when the society was really ready to discuss about this certain issues of uh, surface trade deal with the Beijing office. And the technology were there, were ready. They have live stream ready. They have uh, the internet ready. They have uh, all sorts of recording devices ready to make the movement or occupy transparent. And the third part, the, the democracy or the process were really there also because people who um, occupy the parliament, they have this process of uh, deliberating inside the parliament and kind of showcasing how the parliament should work uh, inside. 
So with all these three elements working together, I see the moment when the successful civic movement took place and grew from there. Mm. So you had transparency, deliberation. Those are... What was the first principle? There were three principles there. Deliberation internally, transparency. Mm, I mean, the society power. Like when the society is ready enough to to trigger right yeah okay so there's some sort of like um a sense of urgency that some change mm-hmm. needs to happen mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks for coming yeah no my job's to summarize i think that's what yeah. you're saying i think i myself have to go back and listen to your podcast and you know write it down <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's good i'm glad i'm glad it's useful to you uh, okay my next question is what do you i guess this is a two-way question what do you think the future of democracy looks like so i'm asking you to to be realistic there um but also what do you hope the future of democracy looks like uh, do you and, and i you know you can change the word democracy for for a different a different word if you want but uh but what what do you think the future holds for us mm, i well i do work on a project called prototyping future democracy and i am imagining in 500 years um there will be a virtual reality space where we can all log in and deliberate insight where we can all change our skin colors and change our tone of talking and change the label of our parties Uh, when we discuss we're simply viewing each other from different people from different perspectives instead of people having different levels so we can all Mm. talk together and there will be AI robots, chatbots helping us summarize what we're thinking, just like what you're doing here with me. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I can be an AI robot. Yeah, getting this consensus for all of us to uh, come up with a solution we can all live with. So that's my hope uh, in a very, probably not very far future, but let's say around 100 to 500 years. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'd have the technology for it. I start to get worried about how, <laughs> how the, you know, the, the meta conversation starts to happen. How do you, who's, who's governing, who's designing the AI, who's governing the design of the AI, who's governing the governance of the design of the AI, <laughs> and the, the, la- the layers keep turning up and we end up in, in some sort of inception. Um, mm-hmm. I find that I'd not heard what you just said about the VR side before. I'd done a little bit of research into it, but not too much. This idea of seeing, you know, because of the avatar phenomenon, seeing each other, like me be a, being able to be black or white or or whatever, um, mm-hmm. is that there can be, well, yeah, again, it can be used for, for the good or bad, right? But one, yeah. but one benefit is is to see each other from different pers- perspectives mm. i think is what you're saying yeah i think um well that's why the, the very cool research i think in the vr world is working on right now is about getting emotions uh or human face uh, um, expressions from from the avatar in that way you can look at who you are talking to with a closer with with more detail instead of you know the vr we are looking at right now is probably with very low resolution it's not uh, as defined as how real world works and how we interact with people but 
if there's technology which can help us to interact with people more naturally in that digital layer um, while still um, ability or features where we can you know change our positions uh, change our skin colors for example that would be really amazing to to have and like maybe one person can play um different roles as well or play different um can 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 live in different avatars or multiple avatars from the same time mm -hmm. um the one of the thing i i learned from facilitation is um it'll be really cool to have a uh, person from one side to really understand what the other side is thinking about. So I don't know, it's maybe called uh, empathy or um, to think from another person's shoe. Um, so it's the moment I think, uh, I think VI is, the, is one of the tools could be utilized to create that kind of um, mm. atmosphere. Hmm. That's interesting. So re recently something, I've been doing a little bit more debating on stage and uh, I'm trained as a facilitator, and but I'm also a very argumentative person. Um, <laughs> and debating is interesting because, like, two people are speaking and neither is listening typically, and I find it very easy to to be like that too. And something mm -hmm. I've been, try but I've been trying to use it in order to get better at that, uh, which obviously helps with personal relationships as well. Something mm -hmm. I've been trying recently is when someone like di disagrees with me i try and argue their side for a while so you know i i'll i'll try to i'll try to help them win the conversation in some sense and it forces yeah. it forces you to genuinely wear that other person's belief system or perspective or something for a while and right. It normally always moves me at least a bit in their direction, uh, sometimes a lot. But what definitely happens is that I learn something new, like guaranteed I learn something new or I understand the situation better. Uh, and I can see how using, using something like VR could be quite a fascinating experiment in that. Yeah, yeah I had the same experience recently with... Uh, one of my friends, uh, we kind of go for different sides on the same referendum, and I try to relate to them from their point of view. And I think it's um, just amazing how we can actually start to talk to each other. You know, it's it's like this moment of when you're um, trying to listen and even be with them from the same side and understanding what they value. And it's really nice for them to really open up and started to say, yeah, this is the value I'm trying to um, to hold at the same time, but I also know the downside of it. So that's the moment we can finally start to uh, discuss from, from there. And um, I started to see these moments happen, especially after conflicts. So I'm also a big believer of having conflicts. I love conflicts. That's when we can start to figure out something together. Mm yeah we're somehow um like there's a big block of cement and the conflict is to to keep chipping away at it and eventually eventually you have some sort of nice statue or sculpture but it, right. it takes some time uh okay a couple of last question um what's what's next for v taiwan is there anything um like upcoming that you're excited about and want to share or or yeah mm. what's going on yeah, there's a lot of going on. There's so many people came to ask about Taiwan. And I think one of the 
um, one of the biggest thing we were we're trying to um, work on is to have more documentations for it and probably start live streaming the Vitoan hacker film sometimes and see how that works uh, and say um, writing this Vitoan participation handbook for people to you know have a place to start from it's like a guidance to the community um, yeah just lots of uh, community works there and there's also another uh, thing I probably mentioned in, in this conversation also about this regulation probably will be passed soon and that will give Vitoan more legitimacy. I think that's also a great thing to have. Um, and from there we can talk about how to fork this Vitoan as another experiment lab, uh, experiment center again. Um, yeah, so just a lot of uh, things we can think about. Uh, yeah, this that last week we had this hackathon to think about what are the current problems we're facing, just a yearly review. And I think people uh, participate in that hackathon were basically pretty happy. And um, we talk about some minor issues and we will come attack from there. Um, but I think that's Wednesday we just have a lot of newcomers as well. And we were having fun, having hot pots, um, just sharing the time and cooking together. So it was really amazing. Um, yeah, not much next steps. That's mm, it, it sounds like the community is really vibrant there. Um, you've actually, like, I forgot to ask you a question earlier that's related to this. And that's, is that my, one of my fears would be, uh, like, so this is an opportunity to correct my, my misinformation, perhaps, is that because of the name V Taiwan, because of the um, where it comes from, which my understanding is essentially it comes from the tech communities that you end up having a big overrepresentation um, when it comes to tech literate people, therefore, like some sort of socioeconomic skew, possibly even an age skew, possibly even a gender skew. Mm -hmm. um, so, so just can you tell us a little bit about how, like, who is represented in the V Taiwan community and perhaps any policies or practices that are there in order to ensure diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I think probably in the beginning there are more programmers than uh, people from other fields. But now when I look at it, like last week, we have people from one year old to 50, 60 years old, and the gender is very diverse. We have women, male, transgender. Uh, we have many LGBTQ people. Um, we have uh, a lot of people working in different fields, like in law, in, in coding also, in uh, marketing, design, journalism. Um, a chef also can to cook. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, like a game designer and like a Taiwanese American who just happened to have a holiday in Taiwan for two months. And what about the process itself? Because to take part in the process, you'd need a computer, basically, no? Uh, do you need a computer? Yeah. I mean, there's the hackathon up front, but you'd, you'd have to live near the place the hackathon is happening, unless it's happening all over the country. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's also one of the things. We have this idea to have Vita one in everywhere just like McDonald's. So <laughs> this idea is mm -hmm. to 
bring Vuitton to other cities because we know this is one of the uh, limitation of Taiwan. People not living in Taipei might have difficulties to come here every Wednesday. So it makes sense to to bring the the space to another city, maybe by simply live streaming the event and just play out in another place. Um, or by people there actually organizing another Vitaiwan hackathon and uh, on the country, we live stream their events back to, to Taipei. Mm, does the government um, share the live stream? Uh, yeah, uh, one of the on TV or just online. Online, on on sometimes Facebook, sometimes from YouTube, and sometimes okay. from another software called Live Housing. So yeah, mm. many on yeah, When you mentioned McDonald's, I started having <laughs> this vision that there's a you know I don't know someone's in rural Taiwan, some somewhere may, maybe has access to a TV, perhaps and is able to uh, watch the streams conversation yeah. um, or that somehow something I'd spoken to my vote actually about for a while is having um, just having iPad booths so that people could go and um, and like through some sort of um, citizen login be able to take yeah, part exactly. in, in, in yeah. li maybe libraries are always a good place for that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. We actually came up with this idea from from my vote i was chatting with them and then i brought this idea back to the community and they were like oh, we should do that also because no one should be left out so we learned a lot from my vote awesome well it's nice to, it's nice to see that the all the different um groups are talking to each other because there's it's kind of the same goal so so that's really nice to hear hmm. um okay i mean i think i think i've uh, i've I've definitely covered a lot of what I wanted to cover. Is there is there anything that you feel you've not said that you want to say, or or a part a chunk of our conversation that you feel is missing here? No, I'm just really happy to have this chat with you. Really awesome conversation had with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, ditto. Thanks a lot. Um, well, in that case, I'll leave you with two last questions. Shu. Um, one is any advice for listeners? Maybe could could be broad advice to anybody <laughs> from what you've learned or it could be um like someone trying to create a social impact the way you have um any any big advice any gems of knowledge i said try to have fun try to influence people with lots of joy uh, as many um interesting bad jokes as possible um and just <laughs> to have fun <laughs> well I, I definitely feel like the spirit of the v taiwan movement is very yes and it doesn't feel feel adversarial at all uh and it certainly makes makes me want to play um so i i think that's that's some pretty awesome advice for for anyone yeah. trying to create change in any way really come join return hackathon one day if you ever came on came over to taiwan let me know that would be awesome that would be awesome i'd love to do that and then just finally where would you like uh, to point people to online if they want to find out more about you or the movement or the various various parts of it hit us with some links okay so um there's a link you can all uh typing uh, and join gov zero hackathon um already so it's called uh, join gov zero today if you type j o i n dot g zero v dot t o d a y and you can enter our slack channel and join gov zero today and for Vitaiwan project, you can type info.vitaiwan.tw and it will bring you to a English page uh, of how Vitaiwan works and um, some other perspective of Vitaiwan. And there's also a very beautiful documentary of Vitaiwan, just two minutes long, nice to watch. 
Brilliant. All right. Thanks so much for your time today. Great Thanks. chatting to you. Let's stay in touch. Same here. Stay in touch. See ya. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the How Might We podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by signing up to the newsletter at johnbarnes.me. You can subscribe on your favourite podcast app, but you can also give a star rating. You can share it with your friends on social media or contribute financially on a pay-what-you-want monthly basis through patreon.com forward slash johnbarnes. I'd also love to keep making the podcast better and better and, and really covering topics that my listeners want to hear. So you can do that by sending me feedback and comments to my email. That's hi at johnbarnes.me. Thanks for your time and support. It really means a lot. Take care.